Maran Bao, yes. the uh, IMG Vice President of Tennis, and he'd been doing this job for an awful long time. What would you say are the characteristics of a good tennis agent? I'm, I'm starting you off with a tough one. <laughs> well, first of all, you make me feel a little old by saying I do it for so long. But uh, yeah, it's actually true. I've, uh, I'm in my 14th year, which uh, time flies when you're having fun, right? Mm. Um, so um, it's a great business to work in. I'm very privileged and very lucky. I uh, pinch myself every day. <laughs> Almost feels like uh, I'm not coming to work. It's not work for me. It's, I wake up every morning more excited than I was the day before. So. Uh, truly privileged to, to do this job and to be in this position. But um, That does make life a lot easier, doesn't it, if you actually enjoy what you're doing? I, I like to think so. And, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like a job, you know. And if you're passionate about what you do, you know, you give your everything you have every day. And it's, you don't need to motivate yourself to do a good job so, or to work hard for that matter. So, uh, you know, pretty lucky that I... Uh, I knew pretty early on when I was young that I wanted to work in this business. I wasn't quite determined um, what I wanted to do exactly, but I knew I wanted to work in a tennis business. I, you know, I don't. We can get into that a little bit more later on, I guess. Uh, you know how I got here, but um, yeah, I was very determined to work in this business and uh, to have accomplished that goal. I'm, I'm still very proud of that today. So passionate, determined, are two characteristics. Anything else that pops out at you? Um, I think. You know, I get a lot of people asking me and, you know, college students that reach out and say, I want to become an agent and what do you recommend? Should I go to law school? And, you know, I think I think all those things really help. But the main characteristic you really need to possess is people skills. Mm. You got to be able to read the room. You got to think <laughs> 10 steps ahead most of the time. Um, but you also got to you got to be able to adapt and adjust. Um, you know, it's a. The job is very. Um, this job is very demanding and can be emotionally draining for, for example. And what I mean with that is, say, if you manage multiple clients, you're also going to deal with multiple different personalities. You're going to deal with different emotions. Like, you can have one day someone loses and calls you and is upset. The other day, someone calls you at the same time. Someone calls you and is really happy. So you're just constantly balancing this emotional roller coaster. That's not even yourself, but um, has to do with you know what your clients do. Um, I always like to use a, a metaphor for this. Um, you know, when you go to a to a beautiful be rocky beach, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's rocks in the water, and when the ocean is calm, the water just flows around the rock, and the rock just sits there, and 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 nothing happens. But when it's stormy, the water will <laughs> bounce on the rock and flow over the rock, but the rock is still sitting there and it's not moving. So I try to always, always tell myself I'm the rock mm. whether they're happy or sad or or there's a disaster or there's only happiness um, you know I have to be the rock and I am the rock because they come and look for me you know for that support and that stability and I think that's really important as an agent that you keep that stability and of course we have our moments too that you get emotional whether it's happy or sad uh, I've had plenty of those over my career so far um, but in essence you want to be the rock and usually turns out well for yourself. I'm interested when you said uh, I need to read the room, is that something that you're, is inherent in you or you've learned it over your 14 years? Um, I think a little bit of both. Uh, I think I got to credit my parents. Um, I was raised in a really uh, wonderful family. I have two brothers. Uh, my parents were very loving parents and they still are obviously. Um, and I had a really good upbringing. I was born and raised in Holland. Um, very, uh, very loving family that I come from. and. Um, obviously in the job when you start you, you don't know anything right and you just learn as you go you learn to deal with different people different characters different personalities and you just got to adapt and I don't think being an agent is something you can learn 
uh, it's more you, you got to be born to do this mm. you, you, I don't think you can be saying oh I'm, I'm, I'm gonna study to be an agent and I'm gonna learn the characteristic traits I think you got to be born with it that's my philosophy at least you got to be a lifer you got to be you know you got to be born on this earth to do this I, it's my belief and I know, like you said, you were born in Holland, but you also lived for a time in Germany, and then now you live in the United States. Does yeah. having that kind of multicultural yeah. base help uh, deal with different clients? Totally. I, I'm, I'm very lucky. I speak quite a few languages. Mm -hmm. um, I think that helped me. Um, I was obsessed with travel from a very young age, so I've seen a lot of the world even when I was young. My parents, we always went on vacation in the summer anywhere in Europe, every year almost somewhere else. So I got to experience a lot of different cultures. and. Uh, when I was 16, I made my first trip to the U.S. I, I, I was teaching tennis at a, at a summer camp, uh, and, and I just you know fell in love with the with the mentality of you know people hardworking in the U.S. and uh, nothing is impossible kind of attitude, you know, and you can you can make a lot out of nothing. Um, and yeah, you're right. I lived in Germany for uh, four years when I was seven years old. Uh, my dad worked uh, for Royal Dutch Shell, mm -hmm. um, and. Um, we spent four years in Bonn, Germany, and I went to a German school, had German friends, and you know, that's the age where you learn everything, you know, so the language, I picked it up very fast, and it stuck with me forever, and um, I still speak it fluently, so, yeah. And as well as traveling with your family, you also did play tennis. Yeah. How high did you get? Oh, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> Not very high. Uh, I, I would think my enthusiasm didn't quite match my level. Um, I was a decent junior tennis player in Holland. I, I wasn't anything special, but I was very passionate. Uh, I started late. Um, I was very determined. I, I knew I was very realistic that I was never going to be a professional tennis player. But um, as I just said, mentioned, I spent uh, a summer in the US when I was 16. And then again, I did it when I was 17, um, teaching tennis at a summer camp in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, I was practicing and playing and teaching with a bunch of, you know, kids that were in high school that were feeding balls and stuff like that and they were all talking about college tennis and I was like well what's that like can you explain it to me the concept and um, they explained the concept to me and I was like sold so uh, when I graduated uh, high school in Holland when I was just uh, 19 um, I said to my parents I'm gonna go for six months I want to go play college tennis so I got a tennis scholarship uh, at a university and I said to my parents I'll be back for Christmas and in January I'll start at the University of Amsterdam well nearly 18 years later. Um, I think my mom is still waiting for me to come home. But um, so, you know, six months uh, became four years. I had an amazing time in college, played Division II college tennis, nothing special. Um, you know, Where did you go? I went to the University of North Georgia. Um, and uh, actually, I, I, started, uh, I started in Texas at a D1 school, but I transferred out after one semester um, and uh, played the rest of my college career in, uh, at the University of North Georgia in, um, in a, a, just north of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, while I was in college, I was very like determined and, and interested in the business of sports and especially in particular tennis. And I, um, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. You know, I, I wrote letters to Nike, I wrote letters to Adidas, I wrote letters to Under Armour. <laughs> I mean, I wrote every company brand you can find. And I think I was in my college dorm room, literally at the beginning of my senior year, I was Googling t tennis sports management and I learned about a company called IMG. And, uh, when I read the letters, I was like, it rang a bell to me. Mm. Now, what happened when I was 16 and 17, those summers in Cleveland, Ohio, I was staying with a host family um, and they had, a, they had a neighbor and the neighbor had a friend who was an <laughs> avid tennis player and worked for IMG because IMG is headquartered in Cleveland at the time. 
I mean, this is now seven years later, and I played one. I, I played in that summer of 2016. I played one time tennis with this with this guy, and um, uh, you know, he gave me his email address at the time. And I mean, we played tennis once, and we never stayed in touch anymore. And then I was like, wow, I, I remember his name, so I googled his name. He still worked for IMG. I sent him an email. <laughs> You know, I asked him, can I have 10 minutes of your time? I just want to see how I can get my foot in the door if you can give me any recommendations. And he said, you know, sure. So we spoke and he connected me within the company and um, uh, they, they gave me an option to apply for an unpaid summer internship mm -hmm. right out of college that summer. Um, so I applied, I got, I got very lucky. Um, uh, there was a Dutch agent working at IMG who still is, one of my colleagues, Oliver. Yep. Um, who, um, who helped me and, and supported me with my application for the internship. And uh, I got a, in the summer 2008, right at, straight out of college, uh, four days later, I started as an unpaid summer intern. No guarantees of a job, <laughs> two months. And um, I guess that rest is history. So, um, you know, worked 19 hours a day during my internship, <laughs> trying to prove myself. And uh, after two months, they, they offered me a job as an assistant. And I said, you know, where can I sign? I didn't even care what I was gonna get paid. I just wanted to have the opportunity. and. Um, I took it with both hands and you know you you graduate through through the mm -hmm. ranks you know I was an assistant for I don't know, a good three four or five years and you know then you start signing your first young clients and then you get your first pro clients and then it goes fast so um, yeah, it's amazing amazing how things work out isn't it because if you hadn't gone to Cleveland Ohio yeah the home of IMG yeah. Mark McCormack yeah. if you hadn't met Olivia van der Leyendonk yeah. you know you yeah. just never know what's gonna happen never know it's just incredible so uh, let's go back to you started at IMG yeah um, you've obviously done, uh, in, and you've been sort of a junior to a lot of senior people, and now you're starting to move into the senior yeah. role and start to, yeah. to pick up clients. So talk us through that and the nerves, I presume, and the time it takes to assign somebody. Yeah, the, I mean, in my particular case, uh, you know, I, I've worked as an assistant for uh, Oliver for for good four, four years. Um, and just learning the business. And looking back, I, I wouldn't have wanted any other way. I was uh, I was doing all the I was doing a lot of stuff for players like Nishikori and Yelena mm -hmm. um, Yankovic, uh, Sabine Lisicki, and I, you know, like learned the business. Like so, I had four years to really understand who is who. I was on phone calls. I was working on presentations, on pitches. So you really get to understand like how how does how does this world works? And then you know. IMG said, okay, now you're ready, you, you've, <laughs> you've got your education, so now go to Orange Bowl, go to Eddie Hur, go to Junior Grand Slams, go and try to sign the next Maria Sharapova, Roger Federer. And, um, you know, I was reasonably successful with that. And at the same time, uh, I got pretty lucky with a few young pro clients who I had the opportunity to recruit and sign, and they become became good very quickly. So um, to answer your question in more particular, how does the process work? I mean every story is different um you know it takes a lot of patience mm -hmm. um you know uh, i i describe when i go and see a, a player and decide if i want to sign that player or i want to work with that player it's like buying a house when you go look for a house like probably everybody does once in their life to go buy a house you, <laughs> you walk in the house and you know the moment you walk in this is it or this is not it i believe it's a seven second rule yeah and you and, know and, and I mean, there's obviously so many factors that determine that. Like when you walk into a house, it doesn't mean even if the house doesn't look nice, but if it has potential, if it has room for improvement, mm -hmm. if there's a lot to, to you know, if you can uh, change the windows or, or tear <laughs> off the roof and put a new roof on it, like that's like looking at a player. Like 
when you see a 12 year old or a 14 year old like they're not complete they have so much to go but you got to be able to understand like what is the potential where are they from is this like, is the same as this year what neighborhood is your house in like do i like yeah. to live in this neighborhood does this neighborhood have potential so the, it's, i like this metaphor a lot because um i think it's very relevant and of course in the house in a neighborhood you're sort of looking at the person but also their family absolutely. their work ethic absolutely i think that's almost more important these days than than just the potential mm -hmm. of the player like there's so many factors these days you know what type of role do the parents play what's the support team what's the coaching structure what you know like all those things play a huge role so when you go in and recruit a young player or even an older player you try to really again here we go read the room like understand you know what is what's involved with what uh, what this player has to offer and and what's the support team this is like critical and it becomes i feel like it becomes every year more important because this is a long-term relationship isn't it you're not going in no. to sign someone for a year and do a big deal never you want to this relationship to last yeah i mean what's your minimum would you say I mean, I go, and this is a, a big IMG philosophy, and I think from the days that Mark McCormick started a company, and we've, I think we've proven this throughout the years, that we go into, when we sign a client, our goal is to manage this client for their entire career and beyond. I mean, look at John McEnroe. He's been a client for, I think, 30, 35 mm -hmm. years. And, uh, I mean, in the beginning of his career, during his career, and now after his career. And that's how we approach every client we work with. We don't, obviously, you know, when you sign a client, there's always a term on a contract, but like, that's not how we look at it. Mm. We look at it like we're with you from the beginning till the end, no matter if it goes well, if it goes bad, like we're here to support you and we want to be with you for the, here for the ride. So, And that must be very reassuring for the player because we all know in professional sports and professional tennis in particular, that it can go up and down the year. You can get injured, you can get ill. Yeah family problems etc yeah. and you need to know that someone like you is sort of behind you all the way absolutely it's 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 really key and and um how i uh, i like to i i'm very close with with all my clients it, it i i cherish the personal relationship i cherish the fact that you can uh you can win together you lose together and you go through the emotional roller coasters you go through injuries you go to setbacks but you also go through huge highs mm. right and it just builds this bond that is very difficult to break. And of course, there's exceptions, like some break and sometimes it doesn't work out, but that's normal, that's normal life. It happens to everybody. Um, but I like to think with the majority, like the, the relationship with the client is really strong and you become family. And I, I'm really privileged and really lucky that with almost all of my clients, like it feels like family. And, and, and I think for me, that's almost more important than uh, being famous or, or, or it, it, your success is not determined on just winning or losing. Mm. I think your success as an agent and as a player uh, is together. How's that bond? How's the relationship? How's the trust? And the more trust and the better relationship is, the better you're going to do together, both on and off the court. That's my philosophy. And you do see that. I see that with sort of starting agents or perhaps smaller agencies that a lot of uh, it is based on you win, it's great. You lose, it's bad. Yeah, exactly. you don't have that philosophy. No, I think I definitely don't have that philosophy, and I think that's also a mentality that IMG maintains. Like we, we don't win or lose by one or single contract. Mm. We're not depending on oh, if you do this deal, then we can survive. But you know, others may have that. So we 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 have a lot of other businesses within our business that we that we build on and that our clients can take advantage on. So we're not always just reliant on like that one contract. You know what I mean? Just the example that you just used. I'd like to talk about your successes in a moment. Um, 
all the successes you've had, including what Belinda Bencich, and you've yeah. had a lot of gold medal back-to-back -back winners. Is <laughs> that like hitting the jackpot? Yeah, I don't know. That, <laughs> I don't know. They, uh, I, I, that was that was an incredible. Uh, that was incredible. What happened in the last five years with that? Uh, Monica Puig was actually one of my uh, very first young clients when I started. When I mentioned when I was. Uh, when I finished the uh, assistant uh, mm -hmm. role, basically, I signed Monica when she was like 18, yep. very young. Um, From remember, Puerto Rico? Yeah, I remember I, I simply sent her mom an email and, you know, the rest history. And it was an incredible experience going, I was in Rio with her when she won that gold mm -hmm. medal. That was, that was amazing. Um, and then, uh, then last summer, Belinda absolutely... <laughs> you know put the world on fire and it was it was very surreal for me to have her follow monica and win gold and um unfortunately due to the pandemic i couldn't be in tokyo i would have paid any money in the world to be there uh, but then uh, we spent the week in switzerland together which is very unique also you know to go through that uh, experience but uh, yeah <laughs> I've heard a few people make a few fu funny comments about uh, you know the word gold digger has come, come around a few times so yeah it's, it's fun it's fun um, so you sent the email to Monopo Puig's mum and you obviously had seen her play as a junior yeah. so did she is, was she one of the players that just stood out to you yeah, I mean, you know, I think as a young agent, uh, you, you look for any opportunity you almost can get, right? But again, it's that house, like, you know, what's the potential? Where is she coming from? She come from a, a small island, but that was sports crazy. So I, I felt like if, if this girl becomes as good as I think she can be, I think there's a lot of business we can do. And I guess I was right because she's done very well for herself and we've done so many cool, event, cool things besides the deals and the endorsements uh, you know she's had and she still has which were very successful um, we, we were able to do an amazing event that, that, that I'm so proud of that uh, it's not even that I, probably a lot of people forgot but uh, we did um, uh, in, in December um, after she won the Olympics in 2016 we, we held an exhibition event with 12,000 people in, in a coliseum in Puerto Rico against Maria Sharapova um, and just the magnitude of that now you think oh it's just an exo but people in Puerto Rico never see live tennis there's no tennis event there's no they never get to see her so to to bring that to the people like it was just so rewarding I mean I worked harder than I've ever worked for those four months getting that event off the ground and we worked with a great team uh, that helped organize it but just to see to to bring her and to bring Maria at the time uh, and just to see the joy on the face of the people that um, to, they could see her live you know because she's like a, like a cult hero uh, you know that that was so rewarding that just just the joy in the kids faces like I think she she stayed for two hours after the match signed every autograph that was asked for and just that that you know that made me really proud that you go from like you know a young girl that I signed when she was I think 200 in the world to someone that can really make a difference in people's lives so that's astonishing I'm sure you get asked this all the time about your favorite player to manage. And I've heard professional coaches always say, my favorite player to coach is the one I'm working with right now. Yeah. Uh, is that the case with you? Because I'm sure you've got all these different personalities, all these different success stories. Um, I mean, obviously I don't have a favorite client mm. to manage. I, that, that would be not the right attitude, I think. But what I enjoy is that everyone is different. Like, you know, they're all different individuals and different persons and each of them is unique in their own way, right? They have their strengths, they have their weaknesses, but uh, they have one thing in common, they want to be winners. And they all give everything they have every day uh, 
to be the best and they motivate me to be the same. So like I go to work or I guess the last 18 months sitting in my <laughs> living room working like with that same attitude, you know, like if they push themselves to the limit to be the best, I want to do the same. I want to do that for them. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the sponsors now and the deals you do. I'm sure that's cultivated over quite a long time. Yeah. And again, it comes down to relationships. I mean, a, a lot. Uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, f finding sponsors or doing endorsement deals is is a, a big part of what we do, but it's not everything. Um, to answer your question, question, you know, straight is, uh, yes, it's all about relationships. Um, obviously, we have the companies in the tennis world that, that you know, the Nikes, the Adidas, the Asics, the Yonics, the Wilsons, the, 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 we all know them. And they all, they're operating here in our player lounge and we all, we all have relationships with them, especially when you've worked in this business for 14 years, like they, they become friends, mm. those people. But um, the, there's a lot of athletes that have off-court endorsement deals and you know we we go and hustle and we go find them and sometimes that means convincing a, a, a brand that has never done anything in tennis to take a chance at a tennis player now that is not a one phone call conversation or one email that can sometimes take a year to build that relationship to build the trust to show them to to, to open their eyes to to get them excited for it so we spend a lot of time trying and doing and we don't succeed always mm. but it's a very cool thing to do and um, how, how I always treat sponsors is okay we sign a contract and we agree on what what the fee is and how many appearance days but then I put the, the contract in the drawer and I don't look at it anymore like if the sponsor asks for I need like two extra hours or I need a half an extra day for an event I'm never going to say no because this is like a, this is becoming family now you know I want them to be with the player for the rest of their career so it's a, it, I always think if you, you, if you give a little, you can take a lot, right? And I mean it in a good sense of the way, like if you work together and you, you are in it for the same reasons, I, I have no problem telling my client, I want you to do this extra because it's gonna come back for you twofold and it always works. Yep. Are the players usually compliant? Because we know at the top level that they are under a lot of strain, a lot of pressure. They're obviously focusing on winning tennis matches, but there's an awful lot that goes into a professional tennis player's life, isn't there? So there must be some times where you ask someone to do a few more extra hours and they're a bit reluctant. How do you end up convincing them? Um, I think you gotta really pick your, your battles and your time when mm. you ask for extra things. Uh, obviously, it's never a good time when they're not doing so well or they're not in a good mood or they're going through a rough few weeks. But I always try to, to show them the bigger picture. Like when I ask for something extra, I will, I'm, oh, don't say, I want you to do that and then not say why. I, I'm always giving them a reason why and I was showing them because I believe that the potential or the outcome for doing that can be X, Y, Z. So when you do that and you have a trusting relationship with your client, your client most of the time will say, yes, of course, I understand. If you say so, I trust you and that works and that's that's why my relationship with my clients is so important because i want them to have that trust i want them to say when they say uh when i say to them listen i want you to do we're going to do the shoot it's a six hour shoot but they really need eight hours so i need you to i need you to be strong i need you to be tough mm. i know you're going to be tired but do it they don't, they don't ask any questions they know why i'm asking it i tell them why we're doing it and it's done and but the timing is really important when you ask, that, that's for sure. And probably you don't ask too much, you know when to ask and when to back off. And again, it comes down to reading the room, doesn't it? And reading them. Exactly right. Okay. It's all about 
the people's skill of knowing them, understanding them, and 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 knowing how they're going to react. Again, I got to think three steps ahead before I ask something. But um, I, I I I I pride myself that we're always successful. Like my clients and their sponsors have done really well together, and I've had most of my clients have, to, have been with the brands for a very long time, and 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 that's I think a reflection on them because they treat the sponsor really well. But it's also a reflection on on how I operate and how I built that, built that familiarity between the player and the sponsor, not to just as a business transaction, but as a, we're in this together. Now everyone's had a terrible 18 months to two years, yeah. and I imagine in your business it's been quite tricky. You yeah. said you've been working out of your, your house. Um, how has that impacted your business? Yeah, I mean, our office has opened and closed a few times throughout the last 18 months. But the last six months, we've been back in the office quite a bit, which which is nice. But yeah, it has affected everybody. Um, uh, you know, from you know, uh, from the business point of view, it's been it's been tough uh, the, for for the players, but also for the sponsors because you know the the, the clothing brands are not selling that many clothes. The racket companies don't sell many rackets. You know, um, the off-court sponsors are very often concerned of not spending money on endorsement deals anymore on sponsorships they mm -hmm. want to save the money to pay their employees so it's tough so I, I focused the first six months on the pandemic a lot on okay what can we do to continue to create value together like where can we help where can we assist and sometimes that meant like okay we're gonna take a take a break in the sponsorship and we'll give you guys relief and we'll you know you can pay us six months later stuff like that so uh, there's so many different variable variations of how we've done it um, but yeah, I have to get creative. The pandemic definitely taught us to think outside the box. And how can you create value other than just one social media post or like wearing a logo on your shirt? You know, it taught us, it gave us very many creative ideas. Like how can we add additional value? So, so you've come back, I suppose, to my original question where we talked about characteristics and added more adaptability yeah. as well. Yeah. And just being able to, to think outside the box. Yeah, I think I skipped a few characteristics because you got me <laughs> flustered with saying how long I was in the business. So I started to think how old I am. But no, you're I, very young. I think yeah, you're younger you're, than you're, me. You're 100 percent right. There, listen, I think the list of characteristics goes on and on and on. I don't think I can. I, I, there's probably 20, and I, mm -hmm. I can maybe think of only 10 because it's so natural to me. But um, yeah, you you have to you have to. You have to, adaptability is a very good one that you just mentioned. And I think um, getting on with people is essential, not only with your clients, but obviously there's an awful lot of agents out here. Mm -hmm. You don't want to burn any bridges because you just don't know who you're going to work with next. Exactly. Um, I think maintaining good relationships is really important. Now, I don't think you need to, to overdo it and, and be fake, uh, mm. but uh, you know, I like to think that we work in a, this is a very small industry. Like <laughs> people, there's not a whole lot of turnover, and but some people, you know, grow from a very junior role at, at one company to running it ten years later. Um, I've, a very good example is um, one of the top guys at Nike who uh, started in the business around the same time I did and was working for Prince, like as a scout, and now basically he's running Nike Tennis. <laughs> so you understand, like you know, if I had ignored him when he was a scout for Prince, like. You know, probably never had a good relationship, and now you know Nike is one of our best clients. So, um, you know, or has always been, but of course now he has you know a big role, and you see how people like evolve in this business. So maintaining good relationships is is absolutely key. And you said earlier about going to the Orange Bowl and Eddie Herr and uh, Le Petit. I'm sure I went to Le Petit a couple of years ago, and there's agents milling all over the place. Yeah. This is the unofficial Under 14 yeah. World Championship. 
Um, how do you deal with players, say, coming to the end of a contract and then perhaps you're looking at them but you're worried about other people looking at yeah. them? How do you tend to, to win the bid? <laughs> Good question. Um, most of the time, uh, we hope that the relationship we've built and the work we've done and the trajectory we're, we're on as a team uh, uh, you know, supersedes anyone from the outside trying to explain or say or claim that they can do it better. Um, listen, it's a very competitive, competitive business. Everybody's trying, and your example, Petitas, is a good a good one. I think five years ago, we all went to Petitas to see the next generation under 14. Now, 80% of the kids that play there have an agent or already have sponsors. Like, the, the competition has gotten a lot tougher uh, uh, people people are signing young players at much younger age so like you know by the time a kid is 11 and you haven't heard of him you're probably behind the a ball so it's shifting to a lower uh, younger generation for sure so again age. comes back to your tennis knowledge and uh, knowing who to sign and, and sort of working out their parents and just briefly we mentioned a couple of the women you manage and also you you manage uh, Casper Ruud and yeah. Alex Di Menor yeah. among others um, and those two are sort of taking off aren't they you can see a very bright prospect for both yeah it's it's been a really fun ride and in particular um, to start with Casper I um, I remember seeing Casper play for the first time when he was 15 barely 16 years old and uh, you know it was a it was, I, I, just, I just saw something in him that I, I thought he could be a great player. Um, he was from Norway, his father was a former player, and um, it was very rewarding, especially last year, how he really had this big breakthrough, uh, landed in the top 10, made the finals in Turin, and you know, we, were sit all, all along, we were sitting all along the table there in Turin and realized like six years ago we started his journey, and it was it's incredible to, to get there from, from, from nothing. Uh, he was he didn't even have an ITF junior ranking I believe at that time or was just <laughs> starting so he became the ITF junior junior number one at some point and then you know transitioned to the pros and um, you know I think it's a great story to show how a young player gets opportunities um, you know we we run the ATP event in in Rio at IMG we gave him a wild card then when he was very young he had a huge breakthrough there and it really uh, kick-started his career so uh, I'm very proud of, 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 the, of the journey that he's gone through and we have as a team and with this incredible family and the team he has around him. I mean, it, it, it's, it's very rewarding when a player like that does well. And uh, yeah, Alex is, 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 on, is, is doing amazing, especially now he had a fantastic uh, in Australia, which, um, you know, had a, a tough going at the end of last year, you know, had COVID over the summer, missed the Olympics. and. Uh, um, you know, to see him shine and see how much Australia loves him. And uh, I think he's got a very, very, very big future ahead of him. Uh, and especially also, you know, the, the way the, the public loves him, his image <laughs> is fantastic. So it's a very exciting opportunity for us at IMG to work with, with a young, young man like that who has who got a great head on his shoulders, great family around him, great support team. So, uh, yeah, very excited for the future for that. You've been very generous with your time around. I suppose the last question I have is, is there anyone that you manage that we should be looking out for the next big thing <laughs> um, it's, it's you know I, I, I never uh, tried to hype too much too early um, you know I I'm really uh, I signed a really young guy um, many years ago named Martin Dom mm -hmm. uh, who Martin Dom's senior son who I think is a very bright future and uh, watch out for him this year um, there's two young ladies named uh, Linda and Brenda Fruvertova mm -hmm. from the Czech Republic who uh, 
finished this year uh, number two and number four on the ITF junior rankings, with the younger one being only 14 years old. I watched her uh, win the Le Petit yeah. against Clervy yeah. in the final. Yeah, so uh, those two are, are coming fast. So, um, you know, the, you'll, you'll hear these names in the, in the, in the, in the next 18 months, is my, is my guess. Probably sooner. I so, think so, too. Yeah. Moran Bell, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to speak to you. I think I could speak to you all day, but uh, <laughs> I know you've got work to do. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me.